Hey, what's up everyone? This is Dr. Anur Singh. I'm a physical therapist, yoga teacher, and movement practitioner. And you are listening to Movement with Noor. On today's podcast, we have Gary Harlem Grisham III. Gary is one of my best friends. We've had the chance to have so many adventures together. Uh, if anybody follows my Instagram movement with Noor, they would see that when I was traveling through Norway, I got to travel with Gary and his partner, Sonny. And uh, we've just gotten to see so much of the movement world together. I'm so excited to bring him on. He is a lifelong martial artist that trained at Webster's Martial Arts. Uh, he has a third degree black belt in Tung Sudo and a blue belt in BJJ. He's also a mixed movement artist, an Alabama boy at heart and neck, and somebody who's also taken me through so many adventures in cold plunging. Gary Grisham walks the walk and he talks the talk. I'm so excited to have him on. Uh, thanks for coming on, Gary. What's up, everyone? We're back to Movement with Nora, and I am super excited. I have Gary Grisham on. Gary and I um, met a little over, maybe what, a year ago? Almost two years now? I think we're close to a year and a half. Year and a half. Um, the way I met Gary was that I actually met uh, somebody named Eleanor, who I hope to bring on the podcast at some point. And when, Eleanor? Yeah, while I'm talking to Eleanor, she says, I know who your best friend is going to be. And, uh, Did she really say that? She said that, and then um, she brought me to Movement Lab, and eventually... I walk into this room and uh, it's like pretty late at night, but there's apparently like this uh, movement session happening. It's kind of like a jam or a cipher. And uh, I see Gary's doing locomotion, locomotion being meaning like complex crawls on the hands and the feet. And uh, nobody's speaking this language with me at this time. And right away, there's just this energetic connection. Um, a lot of adventures since got to see Gary in Norway. Uh, and countless other adventures, and I'm just so happy to have you on, man. Mm. Thank you, brother. Beautiful intro. Yeah. I uh, think about that night a lot, because I didn't know you were coming that night, and apparently you had already been to Movement Lab once. Yeah. You're like, I don't know about this place. Some weird shit going on here, but I kind of <laughs> like it. Let me give it another try. And then yeah. you showed up on our jam night, which we were only doing once a week. So like, you came at the right time. Yeah, and I, I tell this story a lot about like when I was uh, at Planet Fitness doing lizard crawls. Like, it just it was very normal for me, but it was very abnormal for everyone else. And you were the first person I met uh, that was just involved in this language, involved in your body in a really wide spectrum, and uh, that I just felt like I could groove with, hang with, and like really just dive into the depths of movement with. Um, yeah, man, like I, I, I'm sure a lot of people had no parts and bits of my story, um, but I just kind of want to hear just like from the start, like what brought you to like the very first parts of like opening up your movement lens. Mm. I know a lot of it was martial arts. Maybe yeah. we can start there. Beautiful, man. Um, yes, yeah, adventures we have had for sure. And a lot of um, like connections between like your past and your journey, like that have helped me kind of uncover more mine. So like still uncovering it daily now, but, um, yeah, martial arts was definitely the beginning. I, uh, was lucky enough to have a trampoline in my backyard since I was a young kid. And, um, I would like take my dad's bathrobe and tie the belt around my head and fucking do my ninja ways. That's what I used to call it. Um, really inspired by like martial arts films as a young kid, like watching Ninja Turtles and like all the, those cliche movies kind of uh, 
help me do some of this stuff on my own on the trampoline. And then my parents were like, watch me out there. Like, we got to get this kid in some martial arts. He's going to like knock on the neighbor's door and karate chop him Mm. in the neck. So yeah, they put me in one of two martial arts schools in my hometown. And I'm so grateful to have ended up at uh, Webster's Martial Arts Academy. Shout out Jamie Webster. Um, Yeah, it's, uh, it really just blossomed from there. Um, Jamie is a very special person in my life because he himself is a lover of all movement, not just, not only martial arts. Um, We were doing yoga, we were doing animal walks, as we called them, down the mat, and uh, balancing things, strength works. We were kind of doing this holistic movement style just under the umbrella of uh, Korean martial arts. And um, You said Korean? Korean martial arts, oh, yeah. Okay. So the style is called Tongsudo Mudokwan, and that style was created in 1945 by Grandmaster Wong Ki, which there's some a lot of videos um, on him and the origin stories if anybody's interested and in diving a little deeper. But um, yeah, we, we did a lot in that studio. And then fast forward to when I became a teenager, I started teaching, and then I got into acrobatics through one of our other instructors there his name is uh, wait how old are you when you started teaching and then uh 12 to 13 okay yeah yeah Yeah. and then the acrobatics came around that time too right around that time yeah I was very interested in all the acrobatic kicks and a lot of that stuff but around that time I really became mentored by my other instructor uh, Pat Underwood uh, Ninja Pat and he really like took my movement to the next level and he's himself is a very embodied mover and just, you know, from break dancing to to acrobatics to um, sport martial arts, um, it it really went from there. So acrobatics was probably from the time I was 12 to 18 is what I did the most. Like I would still train the traditional karate and jujitsu and those things. But I, what I really loved is is the acrobatics. Mm. Um, backflips, aerials, acrobatic kicking. And then I became aware of tricking, which is a combination of kicks, flips, and twists, Mm. which makes this hybrid style originating from sport karate, the competition circuit, um, into tricking, which now is like a Red Bull-sponsored sport. And some of the best athletes in the world are like pioneering this sport. So that was really my first entry into the movement world, I think, traveling to different gatherings and a few workshops to learn tricking. Um, And then from there, I moved out west, found yoga while I was in Colorado um, at a place called Core Power Yoga, which, you know, depending on who you talk to, they have different opinions about it. It's a franchise yoga space, but it really depends on the teacher, right? And I was lucky enough to have some really great teachers there that got to build their own sequences, incorporated a lot of hand balancing and different strength work, which then got me into handstands. So from martial arts to yoga to arm balancing, then I started like wanting more. And um, kind of rewind to my brother, Pat, Pat Underwood. He had gone down to a music festival in Florida and bumped into somebody that told him about this Budokan. Yeah. And that's where it really all begins. Yeah. Um, before we dive down that, because I know I have a lot of questions. I'm sure that'll pop up there. Uh, I just want to say, like, you're one of the only people I know that, like, through and through has been a martial artist. 
like since like a kid, which like yeah, I feel like like I feel <laughs> kind of like glossed a, over that. Like, yeah, no, kid but ninja, adult ninja. Yeah, yeah, no, like you you didn't let it go. I feel like a lot yeah. of people they might take karate and then they kind of just like they might have gotten their black belt or whatever. But sure. the, how much practice do they have in their day to day since then? Sure. And uh, like, I was just thinking about it the other day that I don't have any. Too many friends, I'll say. Now that I've like entered the movement world, I'm sure like I, I can think of a few people that have really taken on martial Folks arts. Listening are like, bitch, I've been doing karate <laughs> since I was three. Yeah, so I'm sure there's people out there now that like uh, I bumped into that have been yeah. martial artists for their whole life, but it's pretty rare. Like I feel like a lot of people they get the chance to touch it and then they kind of dip out. And you've been like through and through, training your body, understanding combat, and understanding like some of the the larger philosophy yeah larger yeah. philosophies that happen with as you age through the practice only happens with age yeah yeah i guess like um uh, i i have like more philosophical questions but <laughs> oh, before no. that why don't we just start off with like uh, let's describe a little bit about like tongue sudo like what 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 does it look like like for anybody who like hasn't seen it yeah um tongue sudo mudaquan specifically is what i um first started with and uh, just to give a little like backstory on what those words mean, uh, Tong Sudo roughly translates into way of the China hand, Tang, um, meaning the Tang dynasty. So um, when Korea was occupied by Japan, a lot of the Koreans went over to China to train. So uh, this style was created. And then um, in 1945, the grandmaster um, made his own style called Tong Sudo Mudaquan. And Mudaquan roughly translates into school of martial virtue. Mm. So uh, I just got goosebumps saying that. Me too. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I, I didn't know too much about it growing up. You know, as a young kid, you're just focused on the moves and being a ninja. But like, as I grew up, I really, you know, feel so lucky for like ending up in a school like that. And, you know, for, for like Americans, like martial arts is very like, uh, like corporate in a sense, especially mm. with like all the Taekwondo schools and stuff out there, which there's so much benefit to just having a place to train martial arts. And it's really instructor. It's not necessarily the name on the building, but, um, yeah, Tong Sudo is, um, is a Korean martial arts style. That's similar to Taekwondo in the sense that there's a lot of kicking, a lot of, um, technical and powerful kicks, but also there's a, uh, some Western boxing incorporated in Tong Sudo. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was really used as the Koreans for a means of self-defense. Um, it looks really practical. Like I, I, yeah. I sometimes I uh, when I think of Taekwondo, at least I think of like more of the artistic acrobatic expressions um, and less on the practicality. But maybe I'm 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 confusing it because I don't know if I've ever seen you do pure tongue sudo. But sure. the way I've seen you move and manage distance and all of these other facets, it seems really practical. When it comes to like, the, the like you said, the Western boxing influences right. the way you use your hands, right? And then also, um, yeah, it, it, nothing came off as like a backflip kick, which um, is dope, and I love which that. Which it's there. Okay, cool. <laughs> and it might be in no, maybe not in Tungsudo, but like, um, yeah, Taekwondo for the I I'm not too familiar with the whole spectrum of Taekwondo, but we think of it as like the Olympic sport, mm -hmm. and. Um, there's so much more to it than that, I'm sure. But with the Korean style of kicking, there's a lot of higher kicks. Uh, Japanese style, there's more of the uh, lower kicks and things like that. And, you know, you know, a kick is a kick at the end of the day. But the way that we were taught was, you know, kick hard, kick precise. 
and uh, strike with intention. And um, yeah, it's uh, still learning. Like still have a lot of learning to do about like what all that style involves and um, you know, where it is now. There's, there's many federations of Tong Sudo. You know, there's not just one sanctioning body. So you know, maybe next time you have me on, we can do a deep dive on, on all that. Yeah. But um, yeah, Jiu-Jitsu being the other big part of Webster's martial arts that now is, um, you know, practiced a lot, a lot. Like we did a good bit when I was young going up through the ranks, but you know, now I'd say the uh, Jiu-Jitsu and the striking portions are about half and half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool that you got to meet um, Ninja Pat, you said. Yeah. Somebody who, like, really opened it up even past, uh, like, just striking and grappling. Um, I feel like when I think of martial arts, uh, like, I, I just imagine, like, yoga being, like, the yogi uh, who's not, like, in, in, in something you guys say, the person who's not willing to surrender, right? Mm. And so, like, I, 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 like I, I feel like there's so... Um, they share so much yoga and martial arts and i i love that you got to practice both because that's how i would want to practice is uh, a little bit of both sure. what what was it like going from something that felt so hard body focused to like something like yoga and maybe um you know tung sudo wasn't as hard body focused but i imagine like the, it's these more martial of a harder forms, style for sure yeah these martial forms um uh ask for a certain level of like um resiliency and uh, and like showing up and not backing down and at the same time then there's the other end of it the yoga uh, which is so much about surrendering to the to the experience um and just being a lot more uh introspective about the the practice i'm wondering like what was it like for you to like kind of start transitioning to that or even blending blending it interesting question man um Something I haven't thought too much about because I was doing, I was teaching martial arts at the time where I found yoga. Wow. It was something for me to do during the daytime before classes started. Mm. So it was really my first time to have my own practice, my own class that I participated in as a full student. Yeah. Where, um, yeah, I wasn't in the same space that I was teaching in. So um, just the whole like introductory into yoga just feels like something I had been really wanting my whole life because at the martial arts studio back at home like I was you know teaching so often and taking classes like I didn't get to separate the two so yeah like separating um the yoga from the martial arts like there's there's so much overlap it's insane yeah right like um what are some of the things that you uh, see that are overlapping attention to the breath you know, attention to the stance, the mm-hmm. weight distribution, you know, like the, the whole stance work that we do in martial arts are yoga postures, you know, like how we would throw a reverse punch. You're in a warrior one position, mm. you know, um, it's, uh, nice. yeah. So there was just a lot of parallels in that sense where I'm in the same stance, but just with a different intention. Yeah. And I find it, um, like i I feel like the, I just want to uh, strap a bunch of gloves onto yogis because I feel like there's something that's so special that the martial art forms uh, offer that you just don't get to experience in yoga. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me is just the way the eyes work. That was the first thing that I noticed because I came from a yoga background. Mm. So I did it like in reverse where I did yoga for quite some time and then I started finally dabbling in martial arts. And the first thing I noticed was it was 
a totally different field of vision. Where in yoga, I'm like offered the opportunity to go into peripheral vision and just kind of like, like even close my eyes or breathe. And then with uh, like right when I started throwing, having people with pads in front of me, my eyes are darting like left, right, up, down, left, right, up, down. And, Fast and the way that like my brain is uh, wiring and the way that my breath is working, uh, it's a completely different space to try and find still calmness in, yeah. still find your breath in. And um, yeah, I just uh, right away felt so excited to discover this and wanted to show it to all the yogis. I was like, we got to get some of this going too, guys, because this is like the opportunity. It's like, kind of reminds me of like, yeah, you can meditate in a quiet room, but can you meditate in traffic? Like, like can you, yeah, while there's, and it's funny because traffic is chaos, but Definitely. traffic isn't chaotic, but in your head, it feels like that because you're getting so frustrated. No doubt. And so the same thing, like where, uh, like how valuable it can be for us to strap on gloves and see how can we still manage our emotions, still be in the moment while uh, going through these exchanges, you know, that, from my perspective. Yeah, man, that's, that's beautiful. Well said. I, uh, that gave me a lot to think about. Like one of the first things that came up is like, usually in yoga, we have a central focus point, right? Like the drishti that we're locked into mm -hmm. and in martial arts, there's some of the same, but you're really trying to scan the battlefield as, yeah. as they say. Yeah. So having your focus point on whatever's in front of you, but also being aware of all four directions mm -hmm. at the same time. And training those multi-directional movements too which you know i know in some yoga styles we we do spin around to the back of the room or turn side to side but it's not as uh often it's not as rapid mm -hmm. so i think that's you know some of the parallels i found where in the in the yoga space only having to focus on this one thing and kind of quieting everything else that's going on around you and um yeah, we would we would have that opportunity a little bit in uh, in the martial arts training, but not as not as often. Yeah. So I think that's really what I was missing is like not thinking about so much every possibility and just like how am I feeling right here in this posture? Yeah, man. And I just have to think that there's a lot of benefits to getting to practice both. It just makes me think of like Hicks and Gracie. Like all the best, they do it, right? Yeah. Like, all, anybody who's like gotten the chance to like really be creative at the highest end of their field has to had to have dived into other fields to bring some of that information to the highest end of their field. Like, it's uh, interesting to think about, right? Yeah, like because uh, if let's say I'm like the highest level jujitsu practitioner, it's kind of hard to be innovative at that point because I learned everything from jujitsu practitioners. Yeah. And like, I, I imagine Hickson getting the chance to like dive into yoga and all these other fields and animal movements. He came back and he had ideas and so on. Speak so the far. language, multiple languages. Yeah. Well, we're talking a lot about yoga. We're talking a lot about martial arts. We kind of paused your story in Florida. <laughs> this is like right, right where they well connect, done, right? Man. Well done, man. Isn't that done. funny? The connection. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, so I ended up at the Budokan University down in Miami. Um, Budokan is the way of the warrior spirit. Bu meaning uh, warrior, do meaning the way, and con meaning spirit. Um, and, you know, that practice has changed my life. And I don't think it would have been as potent if I didn't have everything previous to go along with it to kind of bring me to that moment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just another shout out to my brother, Pat, like he went down, saw what was going on there, stayed a couple days. And immediately the next time we talked, he's like, I know where you should go. 
Yeah. He, he could tell I'd been, you know, looking for something else, looking for something that was merging these different arts. And um, that was the first system I had really seen doing both. Yeah. And um, just to like uh, quickly define like maybe some of the what I've seen in Budokan, it's a mixture of yoga, martial arts and calisthenics. Yeah. Right? Body weight the, movement. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um, like just uh, to to zoom it out a little, um, I, like when I think of systems, you know, I think of like schools that can produce great students. And so like you can think of like, you know, a dojo is a system. If you stay here long enough, you'll get to a black belt. You can think of a college being a system. Um, what has been really fascinating for me is seeing how robust the Budokan system is. It's not just like a... You walk in and like take like uh, an hour a day class. They have like an, an entire center where they're combining these practices. There's uh, a whole curriculum, a whole matrix. There's attached a to whole it. curriculum, yeah. yeah, which is still evolving. You know, they talk about the founder Cameron Shane talks about that system as being a transitional system. You know, evolving with the times, evolving <laughs> with the practice of the uh, of the practitioners. Yeah, and they they almost offer like a belting system for yogis, right? Like in the in same sense, way. Yeah, it's it's morphed a little bit since I got into it in 2017. Um, now, um, you know, I hope I'm not speaking out of context because I still need to go to the new center to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Um, with the belting system, but from my last understanding, they have made each Budokan belt aligned with the jujitsu belt ranking right. system. So when right. you get your first belt in Budokan, you would be testing for your first belt in jujitsu. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's like what I feel can make or break a system is one, like, is there opportunities for like, I hit a certain point right. and then two, are those opportunities uh, actually spread out with enough skills in between that it feels like the person has mm -hmm. and uh, like achieved something like yeah. maybe like certain like uh, like martial arts spaces might have like, oh, you just need to throw a punch and now you're at the next belt, you know, and versus other ones <laughs> right, will be here's like the kick for the green belt. Yeah, you're ready. <laughs> exactly. Versus like other spaces will say like you need this much training and like it's up to us to decide and you have to beat this many people and you have to compete. And most people will agree that one of the most robust belting systems there are. Uh, is jujitsu, which is why I love that Budokan adopted jujitsu's belting system yeah. because it has like maybe the highest criteria there is between belts and what it takes. Like there is a vast difference between the blue and the purple belt, and they're they're one belt apart, blue right. purple. Right. But there's a vast skill set difference required yeah. to get to that level. Um, a lot of time in between each belt too, which is nice. So you went to Florida. And yeah, I went to Florida for a whole month, just like jumped right in, didn't even want to go for a weekend, just, you know, they had a one week, two week, three week and a whole month course. And I luckily had the time available to take it. So yeah, 2017, August 4th was the uh, first time I stepped into the Budokan Academy. And um, man, that that month I still reflect on, you know, I journaled a little bit while I was there, but like there was just so much to take in. And full ass days too. Like, um, what's it like? Kind of a blur, but yeah. I would do my best to, to describe a day. Like, for our camp, um, we would wake up every morning about seven. We would meet on the beach at seven thirty, and then we would run about a mile, and then swim back. Not a whole mile, but swim back to a certain point, and then do that two to three times. That would be our first thing, and then we would do a hundred push-ups. We would do twenty-five normal. 25 wide, 25 diamond, and then 
25 of your choice. And that was like, not like that's the Budokan way, but that's just what they decided to do with that specific training, that this is going to be our way. We all wake up together and go through something as a team. Wow. And then from there, got into more of the, uh, the Budokan curriculum, the yeah. yoga primary series, the martial arts katas, and then the mobility work, the Budokan mobility work, which is really what drew me in at first, which was the animal movements combined with yoga postures, combined with martial arts techniques, and then the acrobatics element thrown in there as well. But all of it under like the realm of functional and practical movement that's not just for performance or um, anything like that, like has a practicality to it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, uh, it's interesting because when I see it, it looks like I've only seen it through your body and Sunny's body, like yeah, and Jamal, and you guys are all like, I mean, just freaking beasts. Uh, like when I see it, I see that there's definitely components of like agility and softness. Yeah. Uh, I see like great strength. People are throwing handstands left and right, or handstand presses, and um, all these other like calisthenic attributes. And then there's just this uh, ferocity and uh, like uh, coordination development that's found in sparring that I'm also seeing. Yeah. Um, is that like what that month looked like for you? Yeah. Yeah. More or less. Mm. Um, what did you mean by the question specifically? I guess just like were you tra- were you training a little bit of that like like a little bit of the yoga parts, a little bit of the yeah. locomotion, like a little bit of the martial arts? Is right. that like how your days are set up? Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for bringing it back. the uh, The first two weeks was set up to train the people that were there just for the yoga primary series. So oh, the people okay. that were there for one month went along with that too. Yeah. Um, two weeks was the first two weeks was learning the yoga primary series, getting that dialed in, teaching it, learning the cues. And, um, then the third week was the calisthenics portion was all the fundamentals of calisthenics, bar and ring work, parallettes, the, uh, the animal movements, some plyometric work, and then learning how to teach that either in like a Tabata style or just like a body weight style, um, fitness class for lack of a better word you know what's funny i don't know what tabata is like i've heard it so much and people say tabata style oh, i don't man, know to leave is. it up to me to define <laughs> the tabata style oh god i just think I of think it it's, it's a, super it's super intense right super intense it's, it's, it's like it's, it's like hit, hit. high intensity interval training but okay. i think tabata was a person okay and the uh formula i think that he developed was a 20 seconds on 10 second rest okay for eight rounds i see right Oh, I'm cool. gonna leave it at that before yeah, I, like, you, I miscommunicate anything else. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's okay. hard as shit, basically. That's what I it can quick, uh, picked up from it, but yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't know until you said Tabata style that it's probably like right. something that you can replicate with other things. Totally, totally. Okay. Yeah, any movements can be put in place, you know, I kind see. of plug and play. But what I really loved about the philosophy that they talked about was the rest period. Mm. That was kind of the opportunity to tap into the yogi mind. Like, yeah. here we go, intense, intense, intense. And like, how calm and soft can we be for those 10 seconds before the chaos begins again? Uh, you yeah. talked about that at the last Budokan class I just went to, at the pop-up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, did, we went hard and then you said, all right, 10 seconds, how much can you control your breath? And uh, yeah, I just remember that right when you said it. That was nice. That was a fun class. Yeah. And then the fourth week was the martial arts week. For the uh, people that had stayed a whole month, um, at least the way that camp was set up, you would be testing for your first belt in the Budokan system at the end of that month. Uh-huh. 
Um, so that week looked like uh, learning the um, first kata, the first Budokan choreography that incorporated the yoga, the martial arts, and the calisthenic work, and then getting it synchronized with your team. So we had two teams. I think they were like seven, eight people each. And then you all ran through this 40-minute choreography um, to music, all synchronized together. Uh, can you define a kata? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a choreography with set movement patterns. Like punch, has, kick, punch, punch, kick. That has a beginning and an end. Right. Yeah. Punch, kick, or block. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is... Oh, that's <laughs> something so, I always think about. Well, Most katas <laughs> actually start with a block, which is like, I feel like I'm honoring like the martial gods right now, hearing that, like wow. saying that, like that most katas start with a block because that's really the philosophy is, you know, contrary to what Cobra Kai might be telling the youth, you know, <laughs> we're not striking first, you know, we're, we're uh, avoiding uh, combat at all, at all costs. But if it does come to that, usually the block to then set up the, uh, the response needed dude i'm getting shivers especially <laughs> with what you said about every kata starting with a block that's like most most katas but yeah yeah, 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 yeah. often often yeah, yeah sure. often yeah which wow. is really cool because like the first <laughs> usually the way the way we would do it, it's like the first block was the most intense and had this crazy yell like ah and you're doing a block <laughs> you just scare them off with a block right away and they're like all right i'm done uh so yeah, like the, the kata work was was really beautiful because it was the first time I had done a kata with yoga in it, you know, and with like a meditation at the beginning, like a seated one or two minute meditation, a bow in martial arts style. And then at the end, the same thing, like calming down your nervous system after you've just done this 40 minute long thing and then like sitting again, like this whole birth and rebirth cycle. Yeah. And um yeah, that was that was a lot of fun because we were already so close, all the people that had been there a month, and then we got to like really, you know, come together for this last portion. Mm-hmm. And then the final thing was after we did the kata, we all broke two boards. So the uh, yeah yeah classic board classic board breaking uh, to finish. Um, the the hand technique was a re- was a cross a reverse punch, and then the kicking technique was just a straight uh, front kick. Yeah. So. Um, that was big, man. I, I uh, would love to share my story on the punch because I... When you, to break the yeah, board. Yeah, to break the punch. board because yeah. I underestimated the shit out of this board. Like, uh-huh. I've broken some boards in my day. Yeah. You know? And, uh, oh, man, it's, it's so funny talking about this because there's a specific way you're supposed to hold the board. Uh-huh. You're supposed to break it with the grain. Yeah. If you can think about what that right, would look right, right. like. Right, I get it. And if it's turned the opposite way, that board is way harder to break. Wow. I know. So I was the first one in my group to go up and break this board. And I like went up there so cocky. I was like, I'm going to crush this board first hit. And the other team had already gone. So like these people that had never done martial arts, like I was the only, you know, since a kid person that had trained martial arts. So I had already like had a little bit more of the movements down. And especially when it came to this, I'm like, I've broken boards my whole life. Like for these people, it's their first time. So I saw all these other people break it, and I'm like, all right, here we go. And the board was turned the opposite way. So I hit it once, nothing happened. 
And I kind of tell me what that is like. Like you punched as hard as you could. No, not as hard as I could. But you gave. Yeah, because it's one board. It's not like it's you know five. You know, you're you're breaking through one board. You hit it dead in the center. You follow through. You go through the board. You don't hit the board. You hit the person behind it. It should break. And it didn't. Did it hurt? It fucking hurt, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it. I mean, I hit it right. I didn't like break my knuckle or anything. Like I hit it correctly. Got shook up. Kind of looked at the person holding it, and he's like the jujitsu uh, teacher. So he's like very stoic. He's just like looking at me like hit it again. <laughs> and I, I looked at uh, Concho, Cameron Chain, and like same thing. They're like, go again. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Hit it a second time. Nothing happened. And then I looked at him. I'm like, I hit it pretty hard. I like said something like that. I was just like in disbelief. I'm like, uh, clearly I, <laughs> I can hit this board. There's a crowd. There's a crowd, man. And, uh, you know, <laughs> And then, luckily, um, Cameron sees the way the board is held and then, like, doesn't even say anything, just, like, moves it in the person's hand to go the right way. Oh, wow. And then then he's like, hit it again. Boom. Broke. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. But I was, was, like, salty at myself because, like, I had put all this pressure on me to, like, knock it first try. And, like, that was a really good lesson that I still think about a lot. Yeah. You know, um... Like the lessons in something you've done time and time again, like there's always something to learn. And yeah, that was a, that was such a fun moment, man. Like I, I think about like these kind of rites of passage, rites of passage and like these initiation rituals or whatever you want to call it. And I feel like a lot of that is missing nowadays in our culture, at least the Western world. And, um, that was like a real opportunity to, to go through something like that. Yo, ceremony work is, um, can be really transformative because it like sets a a moment in time that you've like done something like like a lot of the only ceremonies most people are really familiar with are either a like their graduation or maybe they grew up jewish and they got to have a bar mitzvah um but uh like you know um the opportunity to like uh really transition into adulthood is often missing like uh journeys to uh or ceremonies to say, like, I've now become a man. Adulthood, or, yeah. Yeah, adulthood of what, whatever kind. And so, like, it's just it's just something that we, like, I think all crave is a moment of, like, pinnacle experience with yeah. reflection. Mm. And uh, they're not often given. Uh, or they're not as often uh, shown paths. Right. There's not as many paths right. available unless you're seeking them out. And this sounds like you got to experience, you know, the buildup of like training and then the, the final, like, uh, you know, final hurrah, final hurrah, <laughs> final boss, whatever you want to say. Like <laughs> Bowser. Like, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it's like the moment of like, like your training coming into play for this moment. Yeah. And then you get to reflect on it mm-hmm. as well. What a, was, was that the, was that the board break was like the final piece of that training? That was the final piece. Yeah. Yeah. And then the belting ceremony after that. And then, yeah. A nice Dude. little feast at the end. It's like, I mean, they, they put together a really beautiful program, you know, for people that have never experienced any of this to go and do. You know, there's yeah. not some like high level requirement to go and dip into this world, you know. It's uh, yeah. really available for people. So it's, uh, I feel like part of my responsibility is like carrying in this work is to, you know, help people find out about this thing, you know. Yeah, and that's something that uh, you know we can talk more about uh, in a second, like how you how what you're up to these days. Um, but this is the training you met Sunny in, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Sunny Bear. Yeah. Sunny, so your wife. Yes. Yeah. My now wife. Then my biggest crush. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, day one, saw her and I was like, oh God, I'm so nervous. Didn't even talk to her yet. Like, I mean, there's beautiful people everywhere, right? But then you just meet those few that are like, God damn. Yeah. What is, who is this? What is yeah. this being? And, um, yeah, man, if you can imagine just like Miami in the summer, like we're all sweating, we're all <laughs> shredded, we're all looking great, you know? Come on, let's be honest. And, uh, <laughs> dude, it was, uh, it was really hard to stay focused, not gonna lie. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it took like a couple weeks before like we really started to, uh, you know, get interested in each other. Well, before she got interested in me, it took a couple backflips to like get her attention, and <laughs> maybe an aerial or two. <laughs> But, um, yeah, man, that was, uh, something I didn't expect, you know, not to sound corny, but like, you know, you find love in the most mysterious of places or mm-hmm. however that quote could go. Yeah. And I uh, wasn't looking for it, but like fell right into something that would change my life. Yeah. And it's something that's pretty clear, like, uh, was really harmonious. I mean, like, oh, as soon as people meet both of you, you guys share so much in common. You guys met in what you both do now, like, yeah. which is like teaching Budokan, teaching yoga, teaching martial arts. Like, like you guys are side by side teaching workshops now. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Yeah, man. It's pretty beautiful. <laughs> it's, uh, it's wild, you know, like that was five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like the blink of an eye. Yeah. You know, um, that's how I, I mean, I met you both together. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about as like a little bit of a side journey, but like just kind of more in the Budokan stuff is when I met you, you had this like great dictionary in locomotion, uh, locomotion, meaning like these complex crawls. And uh, I got my dictionary from like um, the Ido Pratal lineage. I trained under uh, Matt Bernstein and Daniel Flores for about like a year and a half. And uh, that's where I built most of my dictionary was from Apeco in Colorado. And um, I was... Uh, just taken aback with how in-depth your dictionary was. Um, I, I can't imagine you learned, like, all these crazy crawls and cartwheels and all of this in uh, just the the boot that month? Like, is no, that... no. It was a culmination of everything I had learned from my first martial arts school to some patterns we did in yoga and then capoeira as well. Okay, like, the I never capoeira trained makes sense. capoeira under a teacher, but I had different um situations where i would be able to train for train with people for uh you know a couple weeks at a time like just different periods in my life mm. and then a lot of the um i wouldn't say a lot but a but a, a good amount of the um acrobatics and mobility work that budokan teaches has some influence from capoeira i um, see yeah and there was a specific instructor there that had spent more time in capoeira so we would learn the capoeira name for a lot of these transitions yeah 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 movements yeah yeah i i mean that would i just like um i again was just taken so aback because we we had such similar dictionaries um and you were like one of the first people to show me that like people are doing this work and just calling it different names yeah like uh we call it the russian dancer and you called it the matrix when you have that like floating moment (laughs) yeah yeah and so like it's just funny because like um, it doesn't really matter uh, who came first or whatever because like it all came from somewhere. And I, I think that like when I saw the Budokan um, 
dictionary, like a little more up and close between you and Sunny, it made me realize that there's just dictionaries out there. Mm -hmm. uh, there's many of them. Yeah. And like, it's funny, I would say Budokan's one. I would say the Ido Pertal lineage has their uh, dictionary. Uh, and then you can even throw in, you know, uh, B-Boys and Breaking, like they have a crazy dictionary. Huge influence. Yeah, yeah. And then Capoeira, of course, has one of the origin. It, like, it, I guess you can just keep going on. Uh, you know what, <laughs> what I wanted to throw in there, but like makes me smile is Animal Flow. And I don't, I don't mean to like talk too much about this, but you were saying the person who created Animal Flow that went viral took a lot of that information and was inspired a lot by Budokan. Like that was the or original Animal Flow. Yeah. And then somebody like uh, just kind of like wanted to take certain elements that felt more marketable yeah. and just took it to another level. Ooh, I got a little nervous, by the way, you bringing this up because I'm sure other people have talked about it. And like, I know it's more of like a known thing now, but yeah, that's what we learned at the training was I had heard about animal flow before Budokan. Like, I guess the same marketing strategy, you know, the algorithm, whatever, just threw it up on my feet first. And, uh, yeah, uh, I had seen the movements and I had recognized some similarities between Capoeira and between other animal based fitness systems and that's really what i thought it was at the be at the beginning was just like a you know a fitness system which yeah. is kind of what it is you know there's you know the the founder of that i think his name's mike fitch like he's been on a bunch of podcasts and stuff too and like i think he's now like created his own take on what all that means but from what i know he was in miami at the same time teaching at one of these big like global gym type places like Equinox or something and then uh, took a training, learned a lot of these patterns and then brought it back to the global gym type of center where people were just looking for a workout based system that was different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's pause. very, <laughs> well, it's, it's very hard to understand like how much of uh, like whenever you get the chance to find yourself so inspired is like taking and how much of it is also uh, sharing. You know, these are like hard words to define. Gray um, area, right? Yeah, and uh, at the end of the day, like I, I don't want to dive too into it, but um, like I, sometimes I try to show somebody like a crab and they're not that interested. It's too abstract. It's a little too much for them. You say animal flow, it it's like... Uh, like buzzword almost yeah and it almost like lets people like uh not feel um like what's the word disconnected from the material it lets mm. the, it's like a bridging word sure like sure. sometimes i call locomotion animal locomotion and yeah. it's just because when i throw in the word animal it almost like helps bridge people and go like okay like i kind of heard that word with like organic calisthenic maneuvers i kind of know where this is about to go right and i don't feel as um what is this word? Hesitant, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure what I'm... There's another word I'm looking for. But yeah, like like so taken aback or hesitant or nervous that I'm going to make a fool out of myself because now I kind of see what's about to happen. So I, I think those middle grounds are really nice uh, to explore too. so that like it's not like there's the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger bodybuilding community and then there's just like... Budokan in the total opposite realm. Bar like stars, a, people. Yeah. Right. So it's a, a, like, a, I think it, it's it been a, a pretty positive force as far as what I've seen. Like in the communities, whenever I talk about it, people are like, I've been doing animal flow. It's been great. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's not for everybody. Like these, this whole movement culture isn't 
for everybody. And so if there's other systems for people to dive into that offer more of what they're looking for, just like a straight hour fitness style class that gets you moving in this like organic way, that's great. You know, I think uh, I, I would hope now, like as people start to borrow and like blend systems and create their own, that there's just that integrity there of where it came from, yeah. you know, and um, just like paying homage to where you learned and um yeah, it's uh, it's tricky though. It's like who invented a, an animal crawl? <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah, you know, it's like, I, I would say if we're talking like animal crawls and who's and inventions of them, I, I'm bringing it right back to martial arts and like, the yogis. Yeah, like exactly both of them. Yeah, <laughs> Dude, I mean that's what's funny. It's like <laughs> it just keeps going in circles. It this conversation, does, man. <laughs> But uh, no, seriously, like with that, like the drunken monkey styles and the, like they name so many of their, their katas off of animal patterns and then same in yoga, like uh, at least the Sanskrit translations are like down dog, dolphin, locust. Right. Like, I mean, I think that's why people are, one of the reasons why people are drawn to this work is because it's been a part of us for so long, even yeah. if nobody tells them it is like they get on all fours and they just feel connected again in a way that's not so, um, not so accustomed, you know, not a part of our daily life anymore. Like, you know, to quote one of your teachers, like we don't touch the floor. Yeah. It reminds me also of, um, well, what Sean had said, Sean is the one that's been helping with this podcast. Thank you, Sean, so Shout much. Out. Yeah. Sean has been doing all of, all of the audio editing. We got to give him more love for that. Um, but one thing Sean said when he came to my one of my first outdoor workshops, he does a whole lay and he goes, it feels like I was just supposed to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. Remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like it, it was and that's what it is. Like the first time you like start moving and touching the ground and uh, like maybe can let go of some of this, the, the I feel silly aspects. You realize pretty quickly, like I need to develop strength like this. Yeah. And um you know, I don't want to talk too much about uh, uh, present day because I'm kind of like bringing it to it. But one thing is like right now I'm teaching at this CrossFit gym. Yeah. Dude, it's kind of funny because I send so I tag so much of uh, the videos I'm making now and I tag the CrossFit gym and they're reposting it. And I just started at this CrossFit gym and I'm sure these CrossFitters are looking at my QDR circles going, now what the fuck is that? Yeah. <laughs> First of all, what is it and why the fuck am I going to yeah, do this? Because this is, it's just, it's at this point, like so different yeah. that like, uh, uh, and I'm not bridging it that well, but I'm actually kind of hoping to just bring a little culture shock to the community, like a little bit of like, Needed. like there's something completely different out there uh, outside of Olympic lifts, which are fucking dope. I'm loving these Olympic lifts. Um, but yeah, um. I bring all that up. I bring up the touching of the ground and um, like how you brought it up too. to uh, ask what are your thoughts on people who are like just uh, involved in like traditional weightlifting and or like they, that's all they've seen is like when I think of fitness, I think of running or I think of like picking up a weight. Um, yeah. Like how how what are some of the th benefits that you've noticed in your life by starting to expand your movement practice, looking at like. Uh, concepts like yoga and martial arts, but even going further than that and seeing maybe some of the components that don't even have that great of terminology yet sure, associated sure. with it. You're like, I feel like you're one of the, you're like we all are, but uh, you especially have made a big point of being a pioneer and looking at different abstract components and trying to 
term them and teach them. Yeah, and um, find a way to connect the dots. Yeah, so like uh, what uh, for the for the weightlifter like well, I don't know, like uh, I'm sure you've met people like that. Like how do you how do you like talk about this stuff? How do you feel like it's important? Yeah. Oh man, great great question. Um I would say first it's about being able to do it anywhere. You know? Boom, boom, snap it. <laughs> yeah, I had to think on that one because there's so many places you could go first with that question, but like usually when we think about fitness, it's in a f- facility. Yeah. Unless you're running, right? But that's what I love about the calisthenics work just to start on one point is that you can do that any day, anywhere, anytime. Yeah. And um and there's so much, I feel like. I I'm very beginner in weightlifting, so I'm sure there's a whole realm that I'm like excited to uncover, but it feels like the possibilities are endless with this like organic strength type of movements. And I feel like, um, there's like an emotional, um, attachment to it too. Like not just with putting your hands on the floor and crawling like we did at some point, if you believe in all the ways we could have evolved or just like being able to crawl with your kid, like getting on the floor and like really play with your kid for a full 30 minutes. Like not easy thing to do for one, like we get bored. And it's also, I didn't mean to add in, but I just felt so inspired. It's also hard to do if all you know is uh, like bench press. Like it's hard to feel creative on the floor. Or even a squat. Like, Like most people can crush a squat with some weight, but like getting down at like a kid level, getting out of that perfect form and like just hanging out in a squat for a little bit with, with a young child, you know, like getting on their level, which is like a big part of my upbringing too, like teaching kids, you know, and like working with kids, like my whole life, like has made me like a professional kid in a sense, (laughs) you know, I'm like, I wear that badge of honor, you know, like I, I, uh, you know, go to the sky zone park and like, I'm like one of the kids, you know, and like the parents are looking at me kind of weird at first by like minute 10. They're like giving me the blessing like, yep, yep, go ahead like play on. You know, I feel like people watching from the side, we experienced a little bit of this in Norway. Yeah. When we were hanging out at the park, like, you know, a lot of the parents are just sitting back, taking a minute to answer some emails, whatever, and not even noticing when their kid like does a new monkey bar crawl. You because know? they don't have the, they haven't experienced that in their own body in such a long time. Separated, yeah. yeah. Separated from it. So I think that's like a big thing for me. That's a big passion of mine is just helping people remember that this is available for strength, for longevity, but also just like for play. You know, I think that's what it comes back to a lot of the time for me is like this remembrance of play and like obviously how fun it is, but like how much benefit that has on so many levels, you know? And, um, yeah, go crawl. <laughs> yeah, yo, I loved how you said it can be done anywhere. And then right when you bring in the aspects of children, it just becomes so obvious why this work is important. Um, I know that, like, uh, Ido has talked about it where he says, you know, you hurt your wrist. He goes, if you're a hand balancer, you hurt your wrist. It's a bad day. He's like, if you're a track and star athlete, you twist your ankle, it's a bad day. Mm. Uh, but what's really nice about this like broad lens and movement is you can, if I hurt my wrist, I can train four hours. <laughs> like, and I, and I, 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 I have that much material available. Sure. Like in my dictionary, like yeah, where it's yeah. like, like, okay, like I hurt my wrist. 
I guess I'm just gonna train a lot of jumping patterns today. I'm gonna train my heavy squats. I'm gonna train um, like uh, dolphin pose. I'm gonna I, uh, forearm balances. Like it can just keep juggling, like and uh, <laughs> rehab and all this stuff. And uh, I remember when pandemic hit, a lot of practitioners were put on the couch. Went dark. Went dark, <laughs> and it's because I uh, like I saw rock climbers didn't have the, their facility anymore, and that was that was all they knew. And it made me so sad that a lot of my rock climber friends just started sitting. And I was like, okay. And then I saw the same thing happen in uh, other communities, like maybe even the acroyogis. They couldn't get with each other to do acroyoga. Right. So nothing took place. Luckily, uh, when, when the rock climbing facility closed, I doubled down on breakdancing. <laughs> because I had that opportunity where I was like, okay, like, like if, if the gym's closed, I have another tool. And uh, I think that that's one of the the things about you can do it anywhere. Like is that when you start opening up these dictionaries, like not only do you have the options and locations, but you're able to maneuver the world depending on the stressors of the world, like to know that you still have your practice here with you. Beautiful, man. You're able to move through the world, like move through your day with options. Yeah. That word dictionary is like the biggest thing I took away from that is like we want a large dictionary. We want to have these options available, not even for the injury reasons, but just like to keep it interesting. You know, like how many times do we hear people like getting bored with their sport? Mm-hmm. Like when's the last time you were bored with well, movement? It, it can happen. It can happen. It, it, it can happen. Honest, but it's harder, right? It's it is. Harder. It is. And uh, especially when you have a community and they're like, oh, remember this thing that we did a month ago? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny because I, I got to give like a, a lecture on um, like longevity to the to the mosque. Uh, you know the mosque that Jamal goes to? Yeah. They invited me to give a lecture. Shout so, out Professor Jamal. Yeah, so anyways, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I give this lecture and the, the one question they asked me, it's all just about longevity. It's for the elders. So I'm talking about the importance of community yeah. and I'm talking about the uh, importance of uh, movement and movement in community. Now, community is actually one of the biggest predictors of longevity. Like how much, how many people you talk to in your day mm. is one of the biggest predictors, more than smoking, more than obesity. So I bring all that up. Wild. And then I talk about um, uh, just all these things. You know, I don't mean to give another presentation, but the the one, right? <laughs> Let me just break out the PowerPoint Part right two. now. <laughs> uh, but we should, we should talk about that one day on this podcast. But anyways, so... Um, yeah, I'm uh, the one person asked, what do I do when I don't want to work out? Oh. And, you know, they're like, what do I do? How much time do you have? Yeah. Let me answer that question. <laughs> but I said, honestly, like, like, I don't have the answer to that. All I can say is like, I'm here to just like, keep it interesting. Like, like mm. I have plenty of times where I don't want to weight lift. Um, and sure, I still show up on those days to weight lift. Yeah. But then there are days where I'm like, okay, I don't feel like weightlifting. Let me just stretch a little. Let me just at least read, like hang off a bar for 20 seconds and at least know I did that much, yeah, you know? Yeah. And it's just like nice that like, like uh, uh, right now I just can't stop talking about dance, but I know that I'm going to get sick of it. Yeah. And then I'm just going to have to move on to the next thing and the next thing. And uh, I know there are people who get trapped and sick of their movement practice, um, but may, either may not have the inspiration and then sometimes it's also the courage to like start over, be yeah. a beginner. Oh yeah. And that, then then the next realm. That's that's a big one, right? 
I think that's another add on to why this is important is like the beginner's mindset, which mm-hmm. I know in, in the Edo lineage, they talk about a lot. It's a huge part of the Budokan system too. Like that is so important. Like countless times you've talked about that in class. I'm just like, where's my notebook? Mm-hmm. I want to write some of this down. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's so beautiful that like we would go out of our way to have those experiences when we were young to like be a beginner in something and like not know anything about something and dive right in. But now mm-hmm. there's like a lot of hesitancy. Yeah. You know, um, it's an in, that's an interesting thought. Mm-hmm. Like why we know the benefit, like how we know the benefit of that is very useful, but we're like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do it. Yeah, and I, I'm sure I've said this in another podcast, but uh, just to say again, we like really idolize specialists. Like we're like totally. always loving people who are the best at their craft, and it makes like the everyday individual feel like they need to be a specialist as well. Like we idolize the best doctor who's a neurosurgeon who knows one thing about one thing about one thing, um, and uh, the Olympics. Yeah, the Olympics, yeah. The, the 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 Conor McGregor being the best fighter he is. Like it's just like all these Debatable. people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the best fighter he is yeah, yeah, yeah. to himself for sure sure but anyways the point is that very debatable these days but the point is that um yeah i think a lot that's what like really refrains people from that beginner mindset too is that like there's just such a there's been a loss of the renaissance man like mm. the person who's just wanting to study a lot of a little a lot of things um I like what Matt Bernstein said. He said, uh, you know, the movement game isn't about being a jack of all trades and a master of none. It's about being a jack of all trades and a master of some, right? And uh, that that's something I think about a lot where I do want to take certain crafts to the highest level. Like I, I want my one-arm handstand. I want to take it to that level. And then there are a lot of crafts that I want breath in. I don't want the depth. Right. I just want a lot of breath. Yeah. Um, so... Anyways, we go on and on. Uh, I'm going to do a little bit of a hard curve here. Tell me about like what's it been like just these past uh, like six months, like with you getting the chance to now teach. What are things that are going on uh, as far as like uh, like present day workshops, how you're teaching, what excites you? Oh, man. Thank you for asking that. Um, yeah, we were talking about one of our favorite podcasters earlier, me and Sean, uh, Aaron Alexander, and he he's the one I hear a lot, he talks a lot about stacking variables, being outside for your movement, being barefoot, being with community, doing different stuff. And I think that really excites me now is how to incorporate more of that into my own daily routine and how, when I teach to bring as much of that in as possible. So it's not just like, we're here doing Budokan. It's like, no, we're here under the sun, feet connected to the ground with people and exploring some of these different movement patterns. And um, I think it's just like the way to get the most bang for your buck in the shortest amount of time. Mm-hmm. I think now in this like culture of like fast paced life, like people need that. You know, they may not be able to train these multiple hours a day. They may only have this one short amount of time. And how do we give them the most out of that time? Mm-hmm. You know? So yeah, a lot of outside training for me, a lot of like, uh, I'm really into walking patterns nowadays like walking in norway i figured out i suck at walking (laughs) like wow walking up a hill is no joke and like doing that and having fun like i can get to the top but i'm not gonna be a happy camper yeah you know like being able to do that and like enjoy the suck you know through the way along the way so yeah like noticing some of my own like walking patterns that 
are a little off that may be creating some of these um, potential for in- injuries and um, yeah, things like that. I'm, I'm finding a lot of interest in like coming back to some of the basics, like walking, like basic crawls and like coming back to how they they are, how they operate in our body without like this is the form to do it. Like how does it just happen on its own? Like yeah. How does a perfect walk look without like paying so much attention to what's going on? So that's one. Um, you're, you're getting me back into the weightlifting. Sunny as well. Um, we spent a lot of time in Norway um, in the weight room and realizing how much how much benefit that has in so many areas too. Yeah. Good gracious. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about how the weightlifters and the weightlifters <laughs> how people who like make weightlifting their predominant practice can really expand and open up by looking at these other patterns um same but, goes for us but same goes for us yo that's what i've been learning more and more yeah that research is just crazy mm. like the, the stuff i've been telling you about like there are very few things that feel uh as uh, robust as the research that's been found in weightlifting um yeah. But yeah, we, we I feel like we can keep talking, Gary. Um, I guess uh, the, the couple things that I want to hear just real quick about is like, uh, we talked a lot about how you you get to be this professional kid. I love that. I want to be a professional kid. Um, you've been doing such a great job of like doing uh, either one-on-one coaching for uh, adults, children, whatever, uh, and expanding their movement practice. And um, yeah, I guess I just wanted to ask... Uh, what, what are some things that uh, you that if anybody wanted to reach out to you about, they could like find a way to uh, do you have like any uh, connections, maybe your Instagram? Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram. My name, Gary underscore Grisham and me and Sonny have just created our our first brand. We're called the Norwinglish Nomads. Nice. Which is, um, yeah, just a kind of a culmination of everything that we that has brought us together and everything we've learned along the way. So we're hoping to um, have a website up by the end of the year where all of our offerings and workshops and um, personal uh, training uh, opportunities are all listed there. So um, maybe if you're listening to this in a month or two, that website will be up. Um, And yeah, we're going to frequent Baltimore probably once every two or three months, come back and train some of my clients here, reconnect with the community. And um, for the next three months will be in Alabama back in my hometown. Yeah. Uh, so any Alabamians or people rolling through, hit us up. Let's, uh, let's connect and do some movement. Yeah. And I imagine more things to come. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely throw all that also in the beginning of the podcast too. Um, as far as, uh, other things, man, I mean, like I, I'm sure there'll be upcoming retreats too out in Norway. Um, we're excited for all of it, man. i I've said it through and through. Uh, Eleanor was totally right by saying I met a best friend that day. And uh, I feel so happy to have you on the podcast, man. Let's do it again. And um, let's keep moving for sure. I'd love to, man. Be an honor. Thank you, brother. Yeah, much love. Peace. Peace and love. (laughs) Brother V.